0: Hey podcast listeners, this week we have a special episode, number 185, actually a featured podcast sponsored by DoubleGood.com, and these folks are incredible. They have an online fundraising tool that simply lets you sell popcorn with team fundraisers, and half of everything you sell, 50% of the profits, go right to the nonprofit. Uh, the popcorn is quite delicious, I can attest firsthand, and the way I like to describe it, it's like allowing your organization to spin up what the Girl Scouts do with cookies, selling them out there, but they do it via mobile app for the doublegood.com fundraisers that then send out delicious popcorn to supporters for a purpose. So there you go. We're excited about this episode to hear a bit about just one case of a successful uh, fundraiser and the amazing work that this Chicago Jack and Jill chapter is doing in general. So please enjoy the episode. And thanks, Double Good. Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies to make a difference in the social impact world. My name is Carisha Martinez, one of the digital advertising whalers at Howell, and your host for today's show. Thanks for listening. Today on the pod, we have Yvonne Blake, president of the Chicago chapter of Jack and Jill. Hey, Yvonne, how's it going?
2: Hi, Carisha. Thank you so much for
1: having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the pod. I'm really excited. So let's just dive right in. Can you tell us about your work and Jack and Jill's mission?
2: So Jack and Jill is a pretty old organization. Uh, 1938 is when it started, a group of African-American mothers wanting more for their children. Mm -hmm. Um, Our official mission is that we are a group of mothers raising the next generation of African-American leaders. Uh, Although the children are all African-American, Uh, The mothers are not all African American, which is Mm. reflective of our society, right? And so we do that by stressing educational thrust, philanthropic thrust, um, health and, and wellness, all different types of things that we engage the children in so that they are. Well rounded, whole individuals approaching a graceful adulthood. At least that's the hope.
1: Yeah, that's amazing work. And can you tell us a little bit more about what you do as president and kind of how you move that mission along?
2: So, as president, I think I end up being chief cook and bottle washer. Uh, <laughs> a nice title, but it comes with a lot of hours. Basically, I formed the vision for what we will be doing that year based on those thrusts. So For example, while health and wellness may be the broad thrust, perhaps we'll decide that learning to swim, because so many times African Americans don't know how to swim, um, and that could lead to increased drowning. So that might be our wellness part. Maybe mental health might also be something that's a great thrust, which it is. And so I would... Come up with the vision for us for that year, partner with other organizations to make sure that those types of activities would be on the calendar. The children have activities um, every month for about eight months out of the year. There are the five thrusts that I mentioned, and so the activities tend to be around them social activism, community service. We do a Mm -hmm. lot of community service. All of those are things that I talk with the group chairs with. The children are age two through 19. Wow! So as you can imagine, what you would do with a two-year-old for health would be very different from how you might engage a high schooler. And so we break them up in groups according to age. The high schoolers are pretty much all together, but the Mm -hmm. other kids are broken up by two grade groups or two you know, years, so that they are very close. And mm-hmm. then we come up with a vision as a chapter for what we want to do. Over the course of my tenure, we've focused on um, engagement, the year mm-hmm. of engagement. we focused on the year of giving, to whom much is given, much is required. This is the year of action. So we're mm-hmm. doing a lot this year.
1: Yeah, that's amazing work and a very heavy burden to bear.
2: <laughs> it's fun. Non-paid yeah. fun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, (laughs) Um, so let's talk a little bit more about peer-to-peer fundraising. Um, I know Jack and Jill, uh, the Chicago chapter of Jack and Jill has had a very successful uh, peer-to-peer fundraising. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: So as part of our community service, um, it's not just the children spending hours and hours doing things, but also we raise money for different causes. Jack and Jill of America, which is the parent organization, has a foundation, the Jack and Jill Foundation. And Mm -hmm. every chapter is required to give to that foundation throughout the year. If you knew me a little bit better, you would know that I like to win. So (laughs) I keep a little competition in my head. It means that we really strive to make sure we give a significant amount. And as you can imagine, that takes creativity and ingenuity over the years to keep doing that. So mm-hmm. the adults have different events. We've had um, parties, silent auctions, you name it. The yeah. teens, though, because we're teaching them the same thing, they also have a fundraising component.
3: Mm-hmm. And uh,
2: over the past years, they've usually done like a party, skating, where they invite friends, and there's a little bit over the ticket price that goes to foundation. Yeah. This year, that party got canceled
1: mm-hmm.
2: for the teens. And um, we were looking for a way to do something because we still need to give, right? Even though COVID has occurred, the needs are still there. So it was very important for us to find something else. And that's how we ended up with this particular fundraising event.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I know COVID has had an impact on a bunch of in-person events, especially thinking about fundraising. Um, right. So really sorry to hear that.
2: Actually, for the kids, this turned out to be one of the best fundraisers they've ever had. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so even though they were sorry not to have a party and they're still intending to do that later, I have mm-hmm. to tell you, this was an amazing event. We yeah. had a great partner, a great product, and we were very pleased with what happened.
1: Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about the event, if you guys did anything differently that you think really increased those numbers?
2: sure so i don't have any affiliation with the company that we use which was double good Mm -hmm. but i would have to say their name is so apropos right (laughs) the product was good and you were able to do something good at the same time it Mm -hmm. was very 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 easy um this was a fundraiser where we sold popcorn people Mm. were able to go online choose what they wanted of the different flavors and the popcorn was shipped directly to them, which made it super easy for us. Anything else we've done, we usually have to disseminate it afterwards. We didn't have to touch anything. So particularly for COVID, Mm. it it worked very, very well. There was nothing on our part except getting the word out and encouraging people to purchase. The fact that the purchase window was so short gave me pause at first, it was only four days, but Uh it also meant that you didn't have a long time to worry about it. So you hit the ground, you just kept pushing it for those four days, and then you were done, which really worked out pretty well. We had some stragglers. I have friends that are very annoyed that they missed (laughs) out on it. Can I still get it? No, you may not. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I think that was the, that was the ease of it. The Mm -hmm. other thing we did is I said, I like to win. We um, made it a competition for the kids. Mm. Uh, Unlike other uh, platforms where kids maybe are selling something for uniforms or for their sports team, our children don't derive any direct benefit from this. Mm. All of the proceeds are given to an organization, a cause that either they choose, part of it goes to the Jack and Jill of America Foundation, just like the mothers. Mm -hmm. So this is just all altruistic. Yeah. So I did say to them, you know, if you do a good job, we will make sure that there's something special. So, you know, do your best. And they showed out. <laughs> they showed out. <laughs> I don't know if you knew, but I think they raised like twenty thousand dollars or more.
1: Yeah, I was about to say 20k in four days. That's right. no
2: easy. That was what they got. Yeah. Oh, that, so there's more. that was the half. The way the double good fundraiser works is that mm-hmm. you get half of whatever you sell. Mm. So i had people say the popcorn was a little bit expensive, but then after they ate it, they were like, okay, it was such good popcorn. And the fact that I was helping a cause, yeah. it was totally worth it. Mm. So I think it's something that we would, we would look to do again, because again, it was easy. Uh, the product really was a good product. And so I have two boys, so I've sold lots of stuff over the years and sometimes, yeah. you know, you just put it in the closet yeah. and say, you know i've supported the cause or you say you know what i don't want whatever it is you're selling let me just give you 5 or 10 dollars this yeah. was really one of those where it it worked out fabulously
1: yeah i'm really interested in this 4 day window i think like you said like one it kind of makes for that urgency like you only have 4 days to go and buy this product support this cause but at the same time it kind of also makes for a stressful four days, but only four days. I'm interested in the kind of strategies that you use to really push that urgency.
2: So what we did was we told the children in advance to get their Mm -hmm. list together. And we did this only with the teens. So I'm calling them children, but these are high Mm -hmm. schoolers. So these are not teens. We told them to get their list together. And we found really uh, the truth was that their list were not as helpful as the mother's list. There are not a lot of teenagers that want to spend $15 or $10 on popcorn. They just aren't. So what we realized was, you have Sharon's name or Susan's name or John's name. Get get her mother's phone number. Mm. And once we had the parents of their friends, we helped the teens craft a message. Why are you raising this money? What is it going to do? So that people could understand it wasn't just for them, or it wasn't just, you know, another fundraiser that they wanted to do something particularly in light of the fact that, I mean, when you think of how stressful it was for all of us during those first few months and weeks of COVID, I can't imagine homeless people that are used to having services that now are not being provided. So Mm -hmm. it was really a big deal for our kids to say, we want to be sure that we're still giving back. And I think that message resonated with the parents and, um, we, we were prepared. So when the window dropped, we already had our messages set up. We were able to put them on various social media platforms. Mm-hmm. We also, of course, employed the good old-fashioned email and text, mm-hmm. which was you know more personal. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think on that third day, I began to call people that I noticed hadn't purchased. Mm-hmm. The way it works is their kid has a pop-up store. And so you can see who purchases from them, which Mm. made it really nice in terms of later on saying thank you to those people. We were able to capture who had participated and supported them. So when you know that you've asked Aunt Betty and you don't see that she purchased, you're able to say, we only have one more day. Did you intend to purchase? Mm. Because Most of the time people intend to, they just don't get around to it. For us, that gave us a sense of urgency to your earlier point and we were able to push people, not just because we're bugging you to help us, but if you're going to help us, you have to do it now because this window closes. We won't have any control over that. And I think that was very, very helpful. <laughs> I'll say that again. Very, very helpful. Because a lot of times people are busy. They mm-hmm. intend to help you. They want to. But there's no push to do so. Mm. Uh, it also helped that popcorn began to come immediately. So. Mm. There were people that ordered right away and before we had finished, they actually had it and went back and ordered again. So the turnaround was very, very quick, which benefited us in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, especially you have that tangible product that, you know, I supported this cause. I got this thing that I know- One is great. It might have been a little expensive, but it also tastes delicious, you know, and I have this as a sentiment or a memento that I helped a great cause.
2: I think that you hit the nail on the head. Having a great product went a long way. Mm. Um, And I think that when we go to do it again, we won't have the barrier of cost because it was worth what it cost. Um, for me, I think I would rather pay for something that's good than waste my money, even if it was just a little bit, on something that I'm not going to enjoy. Yeah, Every yeah. time this popcorn comes up, and it's really funny now because it's been a a little while since we did the fundraiser. Mm-hmm. I still have people ask when we're going to do it again. <laughs> I have people ask, do I have any left? Um, <laughs> so I, I think it resonated with people. Yeah.
1: Yeah, especially in quarantine, snacks are the way to go. Right, right. (laughs) Kind of in line with the cost and work of this fundraiser, was there any overhead cost or work um, by doing a fundraiser online specifically?
2: I think that was the beauty of it and why I said to you that I think that this is something we would employ even moving forward. I certainly hope that the current conditions don't remain. I think we're all tired of being quarantined even at the levels that we are now. However, the fact that there was a total lack of overhead Mm. and all of our other fundraisers not only require a significant amount of overhead, but they require a significant amount of manpower. So just Mm. imagine if 40 teens decide to throw a party where they're inviting three to five guests each, which is how they're making their money for this party, the manpower required to chaperone that appropriately. Um, We've had security, renting the place, all of that and the upfront work. Mm-hmm. When I say to you, it took us a day or two, and I think perhaps it would, it would still be a day, but getting your list together so that you were prepared when it dropped would be my greatest lesson learned from this. You, you can't wait until it started to start thinking about how you're gonna disseminate it. I mm-hmm. think that was the biggest um, learn. But in terms of overhead, manpower, work, really none. It was a win-win. <laughs> was a win-win. <laughs> Tens all around. Tens all around.
1: Yeah. And I think what's also very powerful about Jack and Jill and perhaps sh- the Chicago chapter of Jack and Jill specifically is this powerful network that you've had. I've noticed that throughout this, you've talked about um, the teens, how they uh, invite three to five people to their in-person events or promoted on social media or getting the friends of parents of friends. Um how much do you think a network is important in kind of sharing your uh, message across?
2: So a network is is vital. Mm -hmm. Um, And while you are extrapolating just to this particular experience, Jack and Jill doesn't exist without a network, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The history of this country requires that African-Americans have a strong network in order to survive. Mm -hmm. And um, we depend on that network to make things happen for these children, to give them opportunities to see beyond their current circumstances. While these are not necessarily disadvantaged children by any stretch, the network means that when you have a lawyer, a judge, a neurosurgeon, an OB-GYN in your network, you're able to have your children see things that maybe they would not have seen otherwise be exposed to things that they would not have been otherwise. So conversely, that network being so strong means that when you say we want to do something, not only are the mothers already on board, but their friends and the people that they know. I don't think it works if you don't have a network. I mean, you can mm. only buy so much popcorn or anything else, right? At the end of the day, the network is is key.
1: Yeah, and I'm also, I work in ads. So I'm wondering what kind of ads your team put out, if any, and if they were effective.
2: I am not sure that we really saw any ads. I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I don't think we did ads this time. I don't think there was any type of advertisement beyond. I know um, one of them well, that's an ad, I guess, made a poster that he put up on on social media. Um, many of them, you know, were very crafty in how they created the blurb to go on social media. But beyond utilizing social media as a platform for the, the message, I don't think they did ads in a traditional sense.
1: Yeah. And I think that even speaks more to just how powerful the Jack and Jill network is that for a lot of organizations, I feel like ads for this specific fundraising type would have been really vital and key in trying to get that message um, to a larger audience.
2: Well, we're going to have to talk to you about that because <laughs> certainly if we can use ads to make it bigger and better next time, that would be great because you're right. We are limited by the six degrees of separation, mm. you know, who I know and then who you know. So I know we did a lot of I'm selling it, tell the people you know also. So beyond my network, let's tap into yours.
1: Yeah, Tapping
2: into a a public that you don't know would also have been very, very helpful because again, this is a mm no-touch, no-see fundraiser. So there's no danger on either side in terms of who you allow to participate, right? Yeah. Um, and, And so- I think because all of our traditional fundraisers have been in person, and you certainly want to be mindful of who you're interacting with and how you're interacting, your network becomes important. But in this mm-hmm. particular case, you've just given me another idea.
1: <laughs> I mean, hey, we could talk, talk to you off later. The record. That's right.
2: <laughs> talk to you
1: offline. Um, awesome. I'm also wondering about how COVID-19, it's shaken everybody. And I'm wondering how that's shaken your fundraising or even programmatic work. Um, is there any particular stress that you're facing because of it?
2: Uh, it's shaken everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's shaken everything. The um, the adult fundraiser, the mother's folk fundraiser was postponed. Mm. So even though the children did the double good fundraiser, the mothers did not. And we postponed it to the fall, which it looks like that's still not going to be any better.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: so now we have to figure out what we do financially, we really did not want to um, tax vendors, particularly because as an African American organization, it's very important to me that we utilize, whenever possible, African American vendors.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: I, I am a big proponent of all lives matter after our lives matter. You know, our lives have to matter in order for all of them to. Yeah. And um, our businesses are vital to that. Mm-hmm. So These were often small vendors, our caterers. So we didn't want to take back that large deposit or cancel Mm. at the last minute, as well as there were penalties in some cases, you know, if we just canceled for, um, so we postponed everything and now it's, I'm going to have to deal with what we do in the aftermath, how we redo that. Programmatically, I will say that we've started a little bit earlier this year in terms of doing things in the summer, while Mm. right now it looks like there is some availability to be out of your house and in smaller groups. We have had a few outings with the children. It's easier with kids than it is with teens. Mm. The teens like to huddle. They like mm-hmm. to play cards, they like to be on their devices. Many of the things that they want to do, basketball even, if even the physical things that they like to do are not socially distanced. Yeah. We, we, we laugh because we've noticed when we take our kids on vacation, they do a lot of silo play, mm-hmm. you know, there's 10 of them, but they're all on their separate devices or doing something. Well, the younger children, not so much. We've been able to do some things with them. We're anticipating that any in-person events will be markedly different and that we will probably be stuck with a lot more of the virtual, which we started. I I can speak for a lot of people. I'm Zoomed out. (laughs) Same here. Uh, (laughs) But, you know... It does give you the opportunity to see and interact in a way that the telephone doesn't.
3: Mm-hmm. It also
2: means that you can put a large group together. I mean, you can't get 100 mothers on the phone or 50 mothers on the phone either. So it, it unless it's a conference call, but I still think the visual component, we're grateful for the way technology has been available. And I'm becoming a bit more of an expert. Um, I am technologically challenged, I think, but. Um, <laughs> I'm learning how to upload files and videos, share my screen so that we're able to continue the business. We know that children still have to go to school. They still have to be educated. And so the work of Jack and Jill is still important in the lives of our our family. We have people that move from other states and because they're in Jack and Jill, they have an automatic network in our chapter. Mm And I've talked a lot about our chapter particularly, but in Chicago alone, there are three chapters because it's a big Mm -hmm. city. Um, There are over 250, I think, chapters nationally. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a big organization. And our national conference this year is being done virtually. So a lot of things are changing because of COVID.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really shaken everybody. Like everything that we've known, that we've become comfortable with has been turned on its head from Zoom calls to in-person
2: things. But it has required us to um, develop a level of ingenuity that I don't know we would have otherwise.
3: Mm.
2: So when we inducted new members this spring, we did drive-by caravans mm. where, you know, the gifts were left on your porch. You came out to a virtual parade of people in their cars waving with signs and streamers. Um, So it was just my family in my car, your family in your car. So we were still Mm -hmm. safe in terms of that. But you got to see 50 folks or 40 people that came out to, to tell you how welcome you were, which isn't something I think we would have thought of before. And we've seen this in other sectors, not just Jack and Jill, but that people are being forced to Think about how can we do things outside the box, Mm. knowing that normal as we knew it may not ever exist again. Yeah, that's
1: (laughs) powerful to think about how kind of these catastrophes and disasters push push us against the wall, but then also, like you said, force us to have these creative and genius ideas into how to keep living, right?
2: That's right. That's right. Because life goes on.
1: Life definitely goes on. <laughs> right. Um, I'm wondering if you have any advice for an organization that's looking to kind of replicate or even duplicate in a way what you did with popcorn and peer-to-peer fundraising.
2: So what I know is that Double Good is still in business. And so <laughs> I would suggest that they look up that company because mm-hmm. it was a great partner for us. Um. And, and I don't work for them, but it was really a great, great partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would suggest that. That's one. But I also think in terms of peer-to-peer fundraising that organizations should look at their network first. Your network is often deeper than you think. Mm-hmm. And especially because you may not have the opportunity to be out and about, you can have a great impact just utilizing what you already have which I think is what we figured because there was no one to invite to an event. We had Mm. to figure it out on our own.
1: Yeah. I think that's a great place to wrap up this part of the podcast episode. So thank you so much for answering all of these questions and providing so many gems. It was my pleasure. Yeah, but we're not done yet. We still have our rapid fire round. Okay. Uh, Yeah. The rapid fire round is probably my favorite part of any episode. Um, I think it just allows guests to touch on topics and reflect internally on things that we might have not touched on during the interview portion. So are you ready? I get really excited. <laughs>
2: I see that. I
1: see that. <laughs> okay, cool. So what's one tech tool or website that you or your organization has started using in the last year?
2: Well, I think definitely Zoom, but also um, freeconferencecall.com and any of those other, you know, conference call products, we've started using a lot more. Yeah. And
1: are there any tech issues that you're battling with right now?
2: When connectivity doesn't work, mm. that's not so much fun, right? Yeah. Um, we, we, we've we learned that um, uploading things can be a little bit challenging. You really have to play with it and learn it. You just can't just say, okay, we're going to do it. It takes some prep. That, that's, I'd say, been what we've had to work with and work around.
1: Yeah. And what's coming in the next year that has you the most excited?
2: So I'm excited because I want to see how we as a society continue and charge on, even in the midst of what looks like, to your point, you know, a game changer. Um, I'm excited about the resilience of our children. I'm excited that while all of this happened, our kids got really engaged in terms of social action, put on a protest, and they're saying that now they want to increase voter registration. And so they're, they're tuning in, not just thinking about themselves, but tuning into life and the world. That's very, very exciting for me. Because if my mission is to raise the next generation of leaders, they certainly have to be outwardly focused.
1: Mm. And can you talk about a mistake that you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now?
2: That's probably easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit of a control freak. If you hadn't figured out, I like things to be structured, just so. And I also do a lot myself because Mm -hmm. I know I can depend on myself. Um, And as my level of responsibility has increased and I've done things regionally with the organization, that has cost me because you Mm -hmm. cannot juggle all the balls yourself. A committee of one is just, um, I don't know what the acronym would be, but it's not too smart. So I have learned to let loose a little bit of the reins, go with the flow a little bit, and also to work with others to get things done. I think Mm -hmm. together, everybody achieves more. You find that when you do that, people are more engaged in your vision, Mm -hmm. they buy into it and it's less work for you So uh, uh, that was a lesson that took me a long time to learn, unfortunately, but I I finally got it.
1: Yeah, I feel that one. Sometimes it just feels like it'll be easier if I just do it.
2: (laughs) Right. And sometimes it is right? Mm -hmm. There are occasions when that's true. But I think the danger is that when you need people, then you haven't cultivated the relationships for people to do it. They're used to you doing it yourself. And so um, when you need help, that it may not be available as well as Mm -hmm. as a leader. I think the biggest thing I've learned is that I don't have to get all the credit. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Um, When we work together and people all feel like they're a part of it. Mm -hmm. That's really what it's about. It's not about you. And so it, it's taken me a little while to say, you know, yes, I come up with a vision, but if my executive board doesn't buy into it yeah. or doesn't help me with it, it's not going anywhere. Mm. So you think about all that popcorn that was sold. I think my boy sold maybe
1: 2000
2: Wow, $3,000 worth.
1: Wow, um,
2: The young lady that won sold like $4,000 worth. Mind wow. you, each child was taken separately. So my kids would then have been like 1,500 a piece. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, the point I'm making is that because we didn't just say we can do it, we'll be fine. And we engaged everybody. Yeah. We had a much broader network and it worked much better. And so I have to always remind myself of that. Um, it'll be better if you let other people get involved, let other people have input, say what they think um, and help to shape the vision. It's Mm. going to be a vision then that everybody can get behind.
1: Yeah, definitely. Do you think NGOs can successfully go out of business?
2: Do I think that they can go out of business successfully successfully? as in that they would no longer be needed?
1: Sure. Yeah. Everybody has a different take on this question.
2: I I, I don't, unless we totally want it to be a world of big brother and big sister. I think that it's (laughs) important that non-governmental organizations stay engaged, Mm. um, Relevant.
1: Yeah, like I said, everybody has a different answer to this, like drastically different. But I think that's the first answer I've ever heard.
2: Well, okay.
1: (laughs) That's a good thing. It's always great to think outside the box. (laughs) Let's just say you had a hot tub time machine that takes you back to the beginning of your work. What advice would you give yourself?
2: Get others involved earlier. It took me a minute to realize that just because someone's elected you to do something doesn't mean that they think you're the only way to go. Mm. It means that they trust you to represent them. Something I think that a lot of our elected officials would do good to remind themselves of. And I wish I had known that sooner. Um, It's caused me to listen more. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: I don't always agree, but sometimes hearing the perspective of someone else, like you said, how my answer was so different, just another perspective sometimes makes you see things differently. It may not pull you over to that person's side, but mm-hmm. it may make you see things different from the way you had currently ensconced in your mind. And so that's something I wished I'd learned sooner. Heck, I wish I'd learned that sooner in raising children. How about that? <laughs> um, you know, I, I pride myself on, on raising children that are independent and thinkers. Mm-hmm. And that means that they don't always agree with me. Yeah. Which, yeah. as their mother, who I think I'm supposed to be, if not the expert, at least the authority on raising you, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes that gives me pause. Like, maybe I don't have all mm-hmm. of the answers, and I need to consider your viewpoint. So I, I think that's probably the thing that my time machine would be most about.
1: Yeah. And what's something you think you or your
2: organization
1: should stop doing?
2: I hate that I said, Um. let's see me think. <laughs> I think that's a great question. I can't speak for the national organization. I'll speak for my organization, Mm -hmm. uh, my chapter. I think sometimes we can be overly concerned with what others perceive that we are doing Mm. and we should be more concerned with what we are doing.
3: Mm.
2: You're not going to please everyone. There will always be those that feel that your mission is divisive or your actions or who you are. But I think we should just stand proud in who we are and continue the work that we're doing. Um, I I believe that that would show our children also to just remain proud of who you are and keep moving.
1: Yeah. I love that. Thinking about optics versus the actual work that you're doing. Right. Great to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say you had a Harry Potter wand for the industry. What would it do?
2: If I had a Harry Potter wand, I think it would stop herd mentality. I would really want this wand to allow people to stop and think for themselves. We see a lot of negativity when people act as a herd. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem to translate so much the other direction. Mm. So... That would probably be the thing I'd want to do most. That's really a great question. That's a great question.
1: Yeah, there's there's the internal reflection that gets me. Right. So
2: I was gonna <laughs> say, you, you know, you could really go down the rabbit hole thinking about that. Yeah. What's your favorite question to ask an organization or board member? Ostensibly, people are here to help or here to work. But when you really ask why people are here, sometimes they start stammering it's interesting. I want them to think about why they came also. It's nice to be on a board. It's nice to be on a podcast. It's nice to be on all of these things. But really, at the end of the day, why are you doing this work? Why are you coming to this organization? You need to examine your, your motives um, and be sure that they are in line with what it is will benefit us the most, um, particularly when you're working with children. mm I I really like to know why people are here. But in in my day job, I often have opportunity to interview people and I want to know why they come too. Excuse me, you'd be surprised the number of people that say, because I need a new paycheck or I need whatever. So it's like, and that's true, right? But if that's the only reason you're here, this probably isn't going to work as well as you'd Mm -hmm. like.
1: Yeah, definitely. Why questions always trip up anybody? Because it really makes you think like, hmm, why?
2: <laughs> There's no correct answer, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. How did you get started in the social impact space?
2: Always wanted change, believing that a lot has been given to me and wanting to do more for others. It started actually with my first profession. So, as a very little girl, I lost my brother to cancer.
1: I'm so sorry. Spent a
2: lot of time in hospitals. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Watching the nurses. Um, and that was my first observation of someone whose entire job was to make life better for somebody else, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so that was my first foray into saying, um, I wanna do something that makes a difference. Gradually, of course, as you have life experiences that shape you and um, you begin to see that um, people treat you differently or you're not offered certain opportunities whether it's because of your gender, your race, whatever it made me want to do more so i began to get involved with other organizations you know push and urban league and different things mm-hmm. but nothing shaped me as much as having children mm-hmm. um wanting to make the world different for them in much the way that i'm sure our forefathers wanted to make the world different for us. I am excited by what I believe our next generation can do. And so while we've all made jokes about working with millennials and all of these different things that people will say, every round goes higher, higher. There's an mm-hmm. old mom that used to say that. And so I'm excited by that. And that motivates me to keep working in this space because I want to change things so that you have more freedom to be fabulous, right? Um, I'm talking to a young person that has lots of potential and opportunity. Anything I can do to pave the way for you to do more and better Mm. is what I want. Um, It doesn't end with me. That's what I remember. I I am excited to see what you guys are going to do next and what the other guys are going to do as they continue to grow.
1: Yeah. That's a powerful answer. <laughs> you are rocking this rapid fire route today.
2: Wow. It's prize. I told you I love to win. <laughs> Actually, though, I think you're asking insightful questions. And, and so you can't just give a short, cute answer. You have to think about what you're asking. And, and it's true. It's the motivation for why I do what I do.
1: Yeah. In that kind of same vein, what's a piece of advice your parents gave that you did or did not follow?
2: Well, one is too personal, so I won't do that one. Let me think. (laughs) My parents were really very supportive. They told me I could do what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, Neither of them had a college education and um, they were excited when I said, I'm going to get a master's, I'm going to do this. They pushed. And so I think... It wasn't as much advice, so I apologize that I didn't answer correctly, but it wasn't as much advice as it was the feeling of whatever you do, we've got you. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what they said do you? Okay, we haven't seen that, but try it. Yeah. So. Awesome.
1: And for the last question, which is honestly my favorite, is what advice would you give college grads looking to enter the social
2: impact sector? I would say look beyond the pay. Mm the rewards are greater than that. I would also say tap into your ingenuity. There's money to be made when you tap into your own imagination. You can do good as well as be good for yourself. I think often people feel like the social impact space will leave you poor. Mm -hmm. And so you may be making a difference, but you're not going to be wealthy and you're not going to be able to, you know, do all the things that you want to do. And I, I think that that's not true. Yeah, uh, we need the best and the brightest in that space, uh, just like we need the best and the brightest in education.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: and so as a society, it's important for us to reward that because that's what's going to help us to further our society. Mm-hmm. I think if we're not careful. We we can implode if we don't encourage the next generation to enter that space. Is it um, it's vital, I think.
1: Well, that concludes our rapid fire round. And like I said, you killed it.
2: <laughs> no, I can just say.
1: <laughs> we made it to the other side. Um, thank you again for coming on the show and providing such powerful and insightful answers. It's really been a pleasure.
2: It was my pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having me.
1: Thank you. And where can people find you?
2: So um, I can be reached at um, president at gmail.com. Chicago, president at gmail.com or you can check our chapter website jackandjillchicago.org
1: awesome check out their site they do really amazing work thank you thanks again Yvonne
2: it was my pleasure
0: Thanks again to Double Good for sponsoring this episode. Their platform allows teams to run virtual fundraisers by selling gourmet popcorn and earning 50% of the profit. You just heard one example of a great nonprofit that was able to raise quite a bit of money and enable their young people to engage with the cause even during COVID and this time of social distancing. Uh, By the way, this popcorn is pretty tasty. I kind of know firsthand and I, I recommend their Caramel Diem flavor. But be careful, because you can actually eat the entire bag once you open it, so there's your disclaimer there. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about virtual fundraising with Double Good, head on over to their website, doublegood.com. Click on Virtual Fundraising. Set up is fast and easy, and once you get going, you can just download their app and fundraise from anywhere. Thanks again, Double Good.